Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by Freep Beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Gentlemen, it has been more than a month since we've last convened. A lot has happened. Michigan State has exited the NCAA tournament. There's been a lot of transfer news on the basketball front. There's a lot going on with football with uh, the spring game coming up this weekend. But before we get into all that, because we haven't heard from you guys and your beautiful voices in so long, what we, what we want to know is, how are you? How is life? Does anybody really want to know that? Or are you just asking that to be polite? I am <laughs> asking that to be polite. Okay. I mean, last time we did this, we were in a hotel in, in uh, West Lafayette, across the hall from each other. We're not, we're not, I mean, it feels like we're still there. I mean, I, <laughs> pretty, pretty desolate hotel too. Yeah. We're your guys, your guys trip to Indiana ended early where you were only a, an Aaron. Her- you got to narrow that down. There were about eight trips to Indiana in about a month window. <laughs> I was going to say you're an Aaron Henry block out away from covering a final four is basically my understanding of, uh, of how <laughs> it how- went from Michigan, from Michigan state Twitter perspective. <laughs> yes. That is the transitive property at play here. Yes. <laughs> I do. I do think they would have wound up. I mean, obviously that run for UCLA took some luck against Alabama and good play, great play against uh, Michigan, um, and great play against Alabama. But I do think Michigan State would have gotten to the Sweet 16 if they had won that game. Just looking at how that whole, um, you know, how that path would have set up for them with with BYU, which was a great matchup, and Abilene Christian. After that, I, I do think we would have been covering a a second weekend of the NCAA tournament had they won that game. I'll tell you what, Mick Cronin's a heck of a coach. I mean, getting to see him in Hawaii, getting this. And, and I think, the, I mean, it's really weird that, that we've been able to see where that UCLA, you don't usually get to see this on the East coast, but we see where the UCLA program was uh, at, at the end uh, of the, the last regime and to Cronin taking it over. I mean, we saw him three years in a row and, you know, the development that he made in that time, uh, you know, they went from looking like Izzo said before, uh, like a like a West Coast team that didn't play a lot of toughness and to in two years flipping that entirely. And I mean, I don't know if Michigan State would have made that deeper run. And I, if they would have run into Michigan again, I, mean, I, I think maybe UCLA snuck up on Michigan a little bit, too. Um, they weren't maybe necessarily prepared for that kind of a game. Um, but uh I don't know if Michigan State would have, but but who knows? I mean, you know, maybe Alabama's three point shooting would have knocked them out. Well, and it I, took it took the it took the the foul calls against Alabama for I think for that UCLA game even to be close. Um, I think that's a different game if if they don't get um, but who knows? You know, that's why I mean it's and and Michigan State we certainly saw was capable of of beating anybody on a uh, on a given day. We knew that. We knew and, that. And losing, by yes. Also capable of losing anybody on a given night. Uh, I mean, we all, we all, we all thought they were. We all thought UCLA was a great matchup for them. Whoops. And I know that a lot of people think that was the same for BYU. Had Michigan State pulled that game out, but I mean, and who knows? Who knows? I don't know if that would have been a great ma- matchup or not. But anyway, this is since it's been a month, we're getting we're getting off our NCAA tournament takes fired off. So fans, you're gonna have to deal with it. Uh, some of us picked Illinois to win the national title. Uh, whoopsie Daisy. Uh, I'm still hurting about it a month later. Obviously, uh, Gonzaga seemed like they were a force, and maybe we just didn't watch enough Baylor. I don't know if you guys watch a lot of Baylor this year, or uh, were you surprised the way that they handled Gonzaga in that natty? No, not after yeah. that. Not after the game against UCLA. Yeah. And you know, the, the the way that game ended and the emotion and the 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 focus that you need to win an overtime game like that, and hitting a, a game winner at the buzzer. Um, that's 
that's really tough to replicate. I a second to, it, two to days put later. it in Michigan to put it in Michigan State terms, Chris. I would say that you know Izzo's talked a lot about the uh, the the, the Duke Michigan State game in '99. How both he and Shashevsky knew the winner of that game was in trouble against UConn on Monday night because yeah. it was such a physical, such an emotional game, and and that was a great UConn team with Khalid Alamine and all those guys. But I'm just saying, like there are times that semifinal that team is in trouble. I'm not saying Baylor wasn't the better team. And certainly we saw Baylor reach their pre COVID levels and, and look phenomenal and, and they had great matchups for, but I, I do think if both teams had played one game, um, I think Gonzaga would, and, and, and had played the same semifinal Gonzaga would have got off to a better start probably. And then it may be a different, different game. Yeah. You saw that right out of the gate in that championship game that just all of that. I mean, it was, it, it, it was a team that looked like it spent every bit it had just to get there. And, you know, that when you haven't been tested to that extent all year, I know they played Iowa a pretty close game and they had a couple other. I mean, their non-conference schedule was tough um, and they had plenty of talent. There's no question about that. But, um, you know, they they as much as I think Baylor's length disrupted them, I think the, the lingering effects from UCLA disrupted them more. All right, well, let's uh, let's start on our discussion for Michigan State's national title run in 21 and 22, and we'll start with taking a, a look at the, the roster here for the Spartans. It has taken a drastic turn here over the uh, past month, so we have seen four players exit the program in Jack Hoiberg and Thomas Kithier and Foster Lawyer, and the fourth one is not coming to my head. Chris, help me out. Roger Watts. Roger Watts, of course. Yep. Thank you. Five guys. actually, because Aaron Henry entering uh, the NBA yes. draft, so, seeing so. his stuff on players' trunk, uh, that that's yes. pretty much he's he's gone. Yeah. So yeah, four entering the transfer portal and one declaring for the draft and entering. So that's five players that are out for the program. Uh, the lawyer and Kithier ones are the latest ones. So let's let's start with those two. I don't know. Ultimately, we are surprised that that happened. Uh, I think we talked about we talked about both of those guys leaving the program. Uh, two months ago, when we did our, we we wrote, wrote off their season before they had that run at the end of the year. So uh, I guess Chris, let me start with you here. Uh, what was your initial reaction to those two guys leaving, and were you surprised? Well, I went into this off season, and I think Graham and I talked about it after the the NCAA loss. You looked at that roster, and there were maybe two or three guys that it would surprise you if they left um you could see reasons why a number of guys would think about it at minimum uh or pull the trigger i mean kithier to me was you know the way he was used after that michigan game down the stretch so minimally and then not at all against ucla i think the writing was kind of on the wall there um which you know he just looked like a different player defensively um you know getting abused by the bigger bigs um Maybe he's playing out of position a little bit too, uh, so that I think was part of it. Uh, lawyer doesn't surprise me either, just simply because of his. You know, we, we can, everybody wants to go back to that one play in the Duke game uh, two years ago when he gave up the turnover, tried to get back on defense, tripped, stumbled, and then got a foul when he got stepped on after getting scored on um, in transition. So, I mean, that, but that's only a snapshot because I do think he was the, the best point guard on this roster, traditional true point guard. Uh, so, you know, but at the same point, you also could see just like Kithier. I mean, you know, Kithier, I think Hunter Dickinson abused him and backed him down. Lawyer got abused by bigger guards, backed down, posted up. I mean, they were running switches, you know, trying to get him into – disadvantageous spots on defense and that ultimately that's what Michigan State's problem was it wasn't as bad as the offense had been at times it was the defense I mean they were allowing 70 plus a game I mean that's and if you're Tom Izzo that's your staple you 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 don't you need the defensive side and and I think that's the one thing with Tyson Walker coming in you see the the difference in the defensive end between Walker and Lawyer and, and kind of what Izzo is focusing on. But I think both of those guys, you know, they could have very good mid-major uh, second halves of their career. I, I really do. And, and who knows what Lawyer's going to do. I mean, he's still in the portal and waiting to make a decision. Watts, I mean, 
you know, the Watts situation is going to be interesting because I, you know, he, he's got a world of talent, but a lot of holes in his game. You know, who's going to want to fix those holes, I think, is probably the big thing. And, and w- is he willing to? Agree with everything Chris just said there. I mean, the um, it, it's certainly this is the most Michigan State's roster has been hit by transfers, you know, and and, and in my memory. Um, and, and, but obviously this is a new world we're living in where this is part of the game. And, and um, you know, I, what MSU has lost, though, was, I mean, obviously there are guys that didn't pan out to the level that they needed to pan out to uh, do what they wanted to do. And Rocket Watts is, a, you know, Kithier and Lawyer are one thing because they were brought in. I mean, Lawyer is it was a disappointing recruit. They brought him in hoping he would be the next point guard. Uh, at, at the high major Big Ten level, he has some r- real severe limitations, and that's clear. And I, you know, I, I've heard rumors that he wants to go uh, uh, more than rumors, but but he wants to go out west somewhere, better weather, whatever. The kid should do what he wants to do, and he should have a great graduate transfer experience. And he's got a couple years of eligibility left. And and Kithier, I think, is a great fit for the Missouri Valley because he won't play the behemoths he met in the Big Ten. Um, and that that's a good fit for him. And as, as Chris said, his role at the end was 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 pretty clear. I, I, I think that um, the what MSU is, is you know, the, the, the idea that you're trying to correct one year where things didn't fit and guys didn't pan out, and, and, and you can do that quickly now. Like it used to be in college basketball, if you missed on a kid, you know, you, you dealt with the consequences until you could recruit over him and that next kid developed. And a guy like Tyson Walker, you know, allows you to correct a mistake is what it does and gives you a chance to be, um, you know, to, to fill uh, the position I think that was the most crippling last year. I'm curious where Watt winds up. Uh, you know, I think that he obviously last year was the year they needed him. It didn't happen. And uh, the guys they got coming in now, I'm not sure he would play a ton over – he would have to be a much better player to play a lot over the guys they have coming in. You know, what's interesting too, is that you mentioned about this being, and I think you're right. I think it is the most transfers that Izzo's had out. Um, but I, you know, I think back to the, after the, the 2016 season when they lost the middle Tennessee state and then brought in that class with bridges, Winston Langford and Ward. Um, there was a lot of turnover at that point. This might even be more because now you're not just talking about, I mean, you're talking about those four guys uh, in Watts, Kithier, Lawyer, and and Hoiberg, and then also with Henry. That's five guys. Um, right now, they're bringing in four, and potential with two open scholarships to bring in two more. So you're talking about of thirteen new of thirteen scholarships, you might have six new players. So you would only have seven. I mean, that's almost half a roster. That's a lot of churn. That's a lot of churn in, in that shorter period of time. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do with these roster spots because Agreed. you know I, I don't necessarily you know and I've heard a lot of people well they need this they need this and you, tech, if you're trying to win a national championship next year like if the goal is to be as seasoned as old as talented everything to win a national championship you need to add to this roster. However, I don't think that's always the smart way to play it. Number one, I think roster flexibility moving forward is important. Izzo's talked about this. Yes. And, and and the idea that, you know, to have – I'm not saying you need to always have two, but he's talked about maybe you play to the, the, the point of 11 scholarships to have that ability. Because what's happening now, too, is even this year, again, you know, and, and Aaron Henry looks like he's gone. Langford said his decision. Last year was much more of a year where you didn't know till late with the NBA guys. But – you're going to have late NBA decisions. You're going to have transfers moving, guys who get stuck in the portal, guys you may realize late, I'd like to have that. Um, you may not, you know, Monty Bates, is, you know, you don't have any idea if, if, if he might reclassify. You know, you want the roster flexibility. And if you're if you're living in the transfer world more often, there are fewer guys to develop. You're not developing Tyson Walker as much. You're getting a guy who's just had two really good years, especially his sophomore year. So if you have to develop fewer guys, you don't need 13 scholarships. 13 scholarships is in the in the redshirt era. That's the era where you might need you, – you really don't need 13 dudes. Obviously, you get a rash injury or something like that. But the other thing is if you want to build a group that's going to win big together, you don't want to gum it up either. Like you want to bring in a guard, 
okay, so what you want Max Christie to play less? You want Jay Nakins to play less? You want what? Like I look at this group very similar to when you talk about program development to the 2007-8 group with Kalen Lucas and uh, Darrell Summers and um, Chris Allen when those three came in, and that year was a Sweet 16 year. It was a good team. They weren't a great team, uh, but you could see everything developing together. The next two years, they were a great team. If you're Michigan State, you're hoping to develop this group, that this group becomes something for you. I don't know that you gum that up. The big man situation is a little different, Chris, because I do think you have to know you you either trust what you have there with the three dudes you have, and if you do, that's fine. It's fine to develop those guys, and the Big Ten's not going to be as tough inside. And, and, and Bingham showed flashes, and 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 Sissoko barely played the sport, and and Marble didn't get the run up to his sophomore year. So that, there are reasons to say you're fine, but if you want to go big there, but you got to get a guy who's going to play 25, 30 minutes. Otherwise, you're in the same or 25 minutes, you're in the same yeah. spot. You have to get a guy better than those guys, or there's no freaking point. And so I'm very curious what they do with these positions because it's not just about winning next year. It's about building this group, And I, I, I think. Or, or split the minutes. And I think that's the thing is, like, if you think Bingham's going to be your guy, I mean, right. you, you also know that the, the, the chance of him going from 15 to 20 minutes is going to be a lot better than trying to force him into 25 to 30 minutes. Because you've seen the stamina level. I but if mean, you bring in a big guy, you might lose one of the others. And you got to be wary of that. Like, right. if I'm Julius Marble and they bring in another rugged big guy, I think that's my role. I don't know that well, I'm sticking around. Well, but the other interesting caveat to all of this, and it, and it goes along with Walker. I mean, you're bringing in Tyson Walker with three years of eligibility left. He might be a sophomore after two seasons, yeah. but he's still got three years left to play. And, you know, so do all these guys. So, I mean, because of the wash year this year that doesn't count against their eligibility clock, it, it that's a whole other conversation. But when you talk about roster management, that's got to be in consideration because, totally. you know, and I that's mean, Julius, Julius, Marble, Julius Marble technically will go into next year as a as a sophomore oh. in, in a lot of ways. And that's so, the 11, 11 verse 13, too. Right, Chris? Like, you don't know how long these guys are going to stay around. Uh, you know, is, is one of these guys on the back end going to want to be a fifth-year guy? Like, Gabe Brown, to me, is built to be a fifth-year guy. And I say that because of this. I, I think Gabe Brown is a guy who, because of his height and his potential shooting ability and length, like, he's a guy who could be a potential pro if he were to have big years. I don't know that that's going to happen next year. I think he's a guy two more years could really help a guy like Gabe Brown. He's not necessarily the yeah. most savvy uh, He was player. He was raw coming in. I mean, yeah. he's raw coming in and hasn't necessarily had the extended run that he needs. Usually it takes a year like that. I mean, you know, I talking about transfers, I think about a guy like Aaron Harris, who in his second year kind of blossomed in that role, um, you know, because he got extra minutes and, and got better run with, with the group that they had around him. Um, but you're right. I, I think that someone like Sissoko, I mean, you can give him another year to kind of develop and and the off season that he didn't have last year um and really the year before with the broken hand um you know he, he missed two summers essentially so that's i mean i think to me and this is if i'm the on the staff and i you know the i think you look not necessarily towards a multi-year transfer situation there and that in one of those spots at the big i think you look for a grad transfer and the, a lot of those things, that's the thing about the portal It's going to be really interesting is guys are going to be dipping into that portal. I mean, there, there were guys that going in there yesterday. Um, and, and after semesters, you're going to see more guys going. And maybe after the summer, I mean, if guys are going to try and finish up their, their core requirements at their previous school to get into the grad, to be a grad transfer, you know, you might be able to. So I don't know. I mean, maybe they, maybe they waited out, like you said, because who knows who's going to be in there next week, next month. That, that might be a better fit. I mean, you saw them go after John Harrer. Um, you saw him kind of talk, you know, the dipping in the pool for Miles Johnson. And, you know, th those guys obviously pick different paths. I mean, Harris staying at Penn State and Johnson uh, moving out west to UCLA, interestingly enough. Um, you know, I, I think that – I don't think necessarily you have to panic, but I do think that, you know, probably, you know, by the next month you want to know – and then that, I mean, that, that whole bait situation is there. So you have to kind of keep one open simply for that. 
And maybe if that doesn't work, you bankroll it for the the next year oh, and, yeah. and if you need a transfer or portal guy that year. And that's I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, Izzo said that you mentioned that but he said that. I mean, you got you want to keep got a, a, a spot in case, you know, just to just to add to, to whatever you need. It's it's fascinating right now. I revisited what what we talked about with him back in October and he kind of, I mean, it was it was pretty clear that he knew what it would be. It's, it's going to be the wild, wild west. And he's right. And, and, and fans should understand this. The odds are that between Jay Nakins, Max Christie, and Pierre Brooks, one will transfer after next year. That's where we are now. So and, and we're going to have to we're going to have to get used to that as, as we cover, as people get excited. Like, how much do you really want to invest in recruiting? Because you know, you think about the and, I, and I'm looking forward to this day because I think 17 year old and 16 year olds are the less important they find out they are in this world, the better. But I think, you know, the, the day that some kid says, I'm narrowing my final list to 10, and we all collectively yawn because once you commit, it's barely a commitment, it's really a lean. Then if you do wind up at that school, if you look at the the top 100 kids from last year, the top 50 kids from last year, there's a 50-50 chance you're leaving anyway after a year before you really do anything. So you have to think of it that way too. It's not like – so I, I do think when I talk about a, a group that builds together, there's a chance – this group won't build great together. The only guy who's really locked into anything at MSU is Tyson Walker because he's using his one-time transfer. That guy's not leaving again. And so everybody else can, can leave, has, still has that, you know, I want to go, I want to do something else. It still has that in front of them. And the odds are, a tra- you know, it's almost it, – if you bring a three-person class, the odds that that class is going to finish at Michigan State or anywhere, I think, is is very slim intact. And, and that's just – that's just the way it is. Now, you may be ready for guys to go or they may not work out, but you're going to lose some guys you may like, too, who just don't want to be in this situation. And you, you, say, you say that about Tyson Walker, but I just saw that Mark Smith transferred to his third school, so nothing is set. Well, but this, because this, I think this year's a fresh start. There are a lot of that, and I think there's grad transfer, different things. But, like, so I think after this year, though, the one-year transfer will be – the one-time transfer – Will, will be in effect. So Mark Smith can't transfer to his fifth school or whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's going to be different too. Like the, you, you're going to almost have to recruit these guys and guys are going to have to every year. The the best kids to get will be young players on their first transfer. That's the new recruiting in a lot of ways. And whether we, you know, over time give a crap about a high school kid who may or may not, I, I, I think, I think we're going to have to look at things very differently. Now, I also think things will calm down. I think two things are in play. I think over the next five years, there will be enough kids who get left out in the cold. Too many transfer kids in the transfer portal. Kids realizing grass isn't greener. And the other thing about this year is that this was a miserable year for a lot of kids. This was a really hard year. And a lot of kids just went through an experience they didn't really enjoy. And so that's what's fresh in their heads. And so a year from now, if it's a more normal experience at most universities, I think it'll be a, a more telling um, example of what we may actually expect this year. I give a lot of kids a pass. You know, it's it's it wasn't this wasn't fun. They want something new. I get it. Well, this is it's also. I mean, what we're in. I think year three of the portal. That sound right? I think it's about where what where it is. And so, not only were coaches kind of getting used to that, but now you got to also use get used to that on top of that one time transfer rule. Um, that that takes some time to get adjusted to because I do think that there are coaches who are weaponizing the portal right now. Yeah. There's no question they're they're, re- they're weaponizing it to to manage their roster. They're weaponizing it to force kids out, um, which is something that Tom Izzo kind of projected. You know, he said that some kids are going to get cut, and this was this was, you know, eight months ago before any of this came to fruition. Um, you know, and, and obviously this year, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, especially kids that are farther from home uh, really, I think, bore the brunt of this. Not being, you know, a guy like a Julius Marble or even an A.J. Hogard who were multiple states away and who don't see their families for long stretches. Uh, uh, that 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 can wear on kids. Um, you know, well, they're, this, they're not superhuman. They're not adults yet. I mean, they you know, you can you can say all they want. You know, yeah, they're they're adults. They're off of college of it. I mean, listen, most of these kids go home and their mom's still doing their laundry. I, I drove through campus yesterday on the way back from uh, – actually, two days ago. This is Thursday. So way back from getting my uh, second vaccine shot over at the MSU Pavilion. 
and I'm on Harrison, and I just drive by Breslin, and I, I saw two Michigan State basketball players in a few seconds, including Malik Hall crossing the street. Like, the, if you drive through campus right now, your odds of running into an MSU basketball player are like 90% because they're the only people on campus. Like, these kids have been through this. Like, it looked it was like a 40-degree, cold, miserable day. Malik Hall alone on campus, crossing in front of you know, like go like this is the life they live is not fun right now. It's not like a, um, and so I get for a lot of these kids like I don't want to do this again. I, now if you if you if you like Malik Hall and you've lived a regular year, and you know what it can be, maybe you have and and you know your your place in the program is pretty secure and 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 I, like I think with him and Hauser, they both know that they are sort of they're the fours. They have to compete with each yeah. other for time. They're going to be in tandem uh, in, in terms of how, other, you know, that's pretty, in terms of what Michigan State's bringing in, that looks pretty secure for those guys. So I can understand them feeling great about their 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 positions. But it, it's a, it's a uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if another kid that we didn't expect just said, I, I want to do something else. And, and what, uh, it, you know, again, it'll get very interesting in years to come when, if years are more normal. Because uh, the joke used to be, I remember when Brandon Kearney transferred, the first of twelve in times. December, right? And he was playing like seventeen minutes a game, and he left anyway. Uh, you know, you got somebody in your, your ear that's telling you to 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 go. And, and but I remember hearing that year, like the freshman, like Dawson was a freshman that year, and like all of them wanted to transfer at some point. Being a freshman playing for Izzo can be miserable. And but the deterrent used to be, well, if you transfer, you know, it's you got to sit. It's a whole different process. Kids can just go now, and so that that'll be interesting to watch. Kids who have the wrong people in their ear, not willing to stick it out, and um, and I'm not saying kids shouldn't go where they're happier. I do like Matt Painter's idea, and I don't think this works a hundred percent. But the idea that you you shouldn't be able to transfer until after your sophomore year, it stops the dumb freshman move, or, or without sitting out, I should say. If you want, you can transfer any time, but the the one year transfer is is not allowed for freshmen. The, the problem with that is, you know, it speaks to what's truly right for these kids and, and the, the the ability to move around that every other student can do. And I, I don't know that that's – I do like You're, the idea. I'll, I'll, counter, I'll counter your argument. Then Mel Tucker should never have left Colorado after one year and should have had to sit out a year. Well, no, but if any coach leaves, you should go. You should be allowed to go right away. That should, that that should it's like the, the, the argument is that, that why are the coaches allowed to do this but the athletes aren't. Totally. And my the, the counter would be kids are stupid. Um, now that the, the that about coaches too. That's true. And, and every, you know, look, if I, in a perfect world, this is what I would do. I wouldn't try to incentivize staying without punishing leaving. And so, you know, if we get to a point where you're paying kids, for example, like a work study program, like, cause these kids work 20 hours a week and they can't do other jobs. So say you're paying kid $200 for 20, 10 bucks an hour for 20 hours a week of practice, right. Or something, whatever that is. Your sophomore year, you make 300. Junior year, 400. Senior year, 500. And if you leave and go somewhere else, you start over at 200. Little things like that, like ways to incentivize without punishing. I, I, I don't know. These yeah, are. But, but here's the thing: with name, image, likeness, you know, let's let's say let's. Where is Thomas Kithier, for example, under right. name, image, likeness? Where do you stand more of a chance to maximize your image at Michigan State or at Valparaiso? And now, he, and probably for him, that, that, that's going to be part of the equation as well. Totally. The, the the best example of this to me always is that people think, um, and for different kids, it'll be different. I always use the Cedric Irvin example. Cedric Irvin, and if, if his name, image, and likeness had existed in the 90s, would have made a lot more money at Michigan State than he ever would have gone to Florida State. Because he played early, he was a big star. Gary, he was like, well, there will be guys like that too. I mean, we're getting, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm taking this a little off topic here just because I got a lot of random thoughts. But um, yeah, it, it is, it is going to be fascinating to watch how this unfolds, which coaches it drives from the sport. Michigan State, I think, though, will be in a position, Izzo may hate it, but he will be in a position of, of uh, strength because kids will want to play at MSU as long as he's there. And, and veteran players will want to win. Mid-major guys will want to move up and be part of that. And I think Michigan State is going to be, you know, is going to benefit from this largely, even if they lose some kids that you get attached to as recruits. All right. I have a couple stray thoughts uh, before we move on. One Stray thoughts with no friend. That sounds like a whole separate <laughs> podcast. The, the, <laughs> the pullout quote for this episode, kids are stupid. Graham Couch. 
Uh, <laughs> second. Well, I mean, I remember I, one of my favorite lines from my dad once. I was watching The Real World or Road Rules, something in the early 90s in the back, back room of my parents' house. And he just said, I'd rather you watch porn. You know, he just, <laughs> he just, these shows make kids think they have rights and they're, that they're important. And, and he hated it. It was bizarre to hear my dad say that. And it took, you know, it was a very awkward moment, but nonetheless, I, I will always remember him. Yeah. And, fo- and followed his advice for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then, and, and then the second part, uh, this, I mean, this is going back 10 minutes. You guys talking about the big man. I felt like, like, I don't think Michigan state was ever linked to him, but Jack Nungy from Iowa, I think would have been a great potential fit. With what Michigan State likes to do too, but uh, I don't. Same think with Harbar from uh, yeah. Penn State, who's, who is going back to yeah. Penn State. Good for Penn well, State, that, and that's a great, you know, because we, you know, we mention all this stuff, and you know, there's also the the Malik Carr situation that kind of blends over between the two, and we don't know what's going to happen there, but um, you know, as a kid, that could help them, um, and I think that's that makes this year a little different as well if you've got two guys coming in at some point uh, with Keon Coleman and potentially Malik Carr that could add depth to your roster in terms of, of, of what you, what you want to get from the transfer portal too. Um, I, I don't know what you can expect or if they can give you anything really. I mean, you won't know that until after a football season, maybe they don't join until January and, uh, and they maybe they give you just a practice body. Who knows at this point? Um, but you, you do have those guys that are more guards uh, for some depth there, and you, you know your your focus sh- to me should be on that big spot. Yeah, my understanding is Carr is still coming. His latest tweet was just uh, a following the I wasn't rules. Being tweet. tampered with tweet. It was a following the rules tweet. It was you better say yeah, everybody can contact you, or it's not a. Um, that, that that Michigan State thing's been uh, is has been set for a bit because obviously Dwayne Stevens is his, his uncle and the um but it is, Coleman's interesting. You bring up both these guys, Chris. Well, two things: one, you don't get unlimited roster spots, so this is going to affect the walk-ons at Michigan State for a while. Um, like I don't even know. I, I don't. I, I need to look at this because I keep forgetting to do, do. this. You, you, you don't. I mean, you can have unlimited walk-ons. You can't have unlimited roster spots. Can't have unlimited people traveling. Can't have unlimited people right. on the bench. Um, so, you know, does Steven Izzo eventually not get to travel? I don't know. You know, like that sort of, um, th- there will be, th- there will be, uh, there could be issues there. If you, you again, you want to bring in guys who can play at your level. If you have walk-ons who can play division one basketball at a big 10 level talent wise, that's a win. Always. If one of them winds up working out for you and, and giving you something, Keon Coleman to me is the most interesting. Cause I think in his heart of hearts, I think Keon Coleman at night wishes he was just a basketball player. I don't know that for a fact. I've never spoken. I mean, the the dude tweeted after ESPN's uh, revisited final list of the 2021 uh, basketball recruits. He he tweeted. He's like, "There's not a hundred better players in both sports than me." No, right. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's bold. That's bold. I, I, he, he, he got some confidence. He also compares himself to Russell Westbrook on uh, on social media quite often. I would love to have like one percent of his confidence. And anything I do in my life than what he has. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I, but here's a here's a bold prediction. All right, and and maybe it'll all work out for him in football, and he'll be a great receiver, and he'll, you know, not do as much in basketball. But if there are hiccups in football, and he winds up being a guy who shows something on the basketball court early at all, I, I wouldn't be stunned if that guy again roster flexibility. Right, at some point you have the opening. This guy looks like a guy who helps you. He'd rather do that. I, to me, he seems like a baller uh, who just happens to be a great football player. Could be totally wrong on that. Haven't spoken to the kid about it. I'm just following the the tea leaves of what I see from him on social media. Makes me think this kid wishes he was just a basketball player. It, it um, seems a lot like Andre Risen. Unlimited confidence, unlimited athletic ability, um, also un, untapped focus yet. You know of where he. I mean, where he feels like his best potential might be and, and where that athleticism and might it, It's hard to do both at that, at the division one level. Oh, absolutely. And, and so that's, and at some time, the I mean, calendars you, alone, I mean, listen, football, right. football goes from basically now it's a year round sport. I mean, basketball gets April, uh, may off usually, but football is year round. 
Um, I think as a receiver, that's why those those people who think that that somehow that that this the, the portal in basketball is gonna gonna change the focus on football and, and minimize spring football, I think they're <laughs> incredibly wrong about that. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, so we we have been uh, you set me up here. I could have gone to T for you here. That's right. So here here's my theory on this. And this is not everywhere. This is not in places that don't have life balance. This is not in Ohio State and oh. Nebraska and places like that. This, wow. This Shots is, fired right is, away. But in, in places where you have dual sport interests, that's pretty similar. And there aren't a lot of them, right? I mean, University of Michigan can say they love basketball, but 90% of their fan base would go happily go 0-30 in basketball for another win in football, right? They, they, they just – it's I don't say it, it's that extreme. But football schools will always be different. Michigan State, though, is one of these places where – it's very split. The interest is very seasonal in terms of where people's heads are. And and I've noticed this, and we notice this because we see the metrics and readership. We see, we, we know where our own heads are a little bit. It takes a minute coming out of basketball season. Like during the NCAA tournament, even if Michigan State's eliminated, people's heads are still in hoops, right? They're still in hoops. They're still thinking roster the next year. Basketball is what's happening. And then traditionally, you get a couple weeks out of that, and you get toward the spring game, and the hoop stuff fizzles. Things have settled. People start to think a little bit about football, even though spring football to me is unnatural and it's a weird time. And it's not, for my cyclical sports fan mind, doesn't really fit. And I, and I struggle to care a little bit. I care deeply about football in the fall. I've always been one of those people. You know, you give me, I'm very seasonal. Anyway, the hmm. thing that's changed, going to change, in my opinion, with, with, with basketball becoming more year round, more fluid rosters, more changes happening with the transfer portal, is that. People aren't going to get out of hoop mode in time for the end of spring football. If you look at the foster lawyer situation the other night, you're starting to think, I mean, it's spring football, that's, that's where the heads are. Foster lawyer happens, boom, that's where it is. Two opening scholarships, foster lawyers leaving, that's where people's head, they, they haven't completely moved out. And by the time, I'm not saying they won't watch the spring game and care and, and like the spring game okay. I, I'm just saying by the time people fully get out of hoops mode, if whenever that happens, football spring will be done. And so it'll just, you know, for, in a place like MSU, spring football will remain further second fiddle all the way through the spring uh, because of the, the changes to the hoops calendar and, 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 and sort of the way the rosters are being built. That's, this that's is, my thing. This is so entirely wrong on so many different <laughs> levels. I mean, it's, it's been proven so many different times how, how much spring football is uh, an eyeball draw just because of the year-round nature of football. I mean, listen – uh, just take it to the NBA. How many people are talking about the NBA in July, August, and September? How many people are talking about the the NFL in February, March, and April, and May, and June, and July? Right? I mean, Chris, I can't I can't write anything I can't write anything right now that'll draw as many eyeballs as a Foster lawyer piece. That's a whole different thing. If, that's, if that's AJ Hogard, you're not getting the same numbers. Guaranteed. Well, but I'm talking about just the whole roster. People are more dialed in on that. I'm, football in the spring has always been a, um, it's always been it's always been a little less. Than, and 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 I I mis I misjudged this a little bit through several surveys and arguments. I always thought for years that Michigan State was a football first place. Izzo said it, whatever, and, and basketball was second, and e even if just minimally, and people would get into basketball every bit as much because it, it's it, they were great at it. But ultimately, where people's sense of self-worth came from a great football season did more. Um, that that I've changed on a little bit. I think people uh, over time and, and, and just more people being around great basketball. Anyway, but my, my sense is this is partly my disinterest in spring football, Chris. That's well, all. I, I know it is. I just, I just, I, I'm a very, but I think a lot of people are cyclical sports fans. Spring football is unnatural. And, you know, I'll give you an example. Just, but look, look at how quickly those 6,000 tickets for the spring game went. They were gone in an hour. People haven't seen them in two years. People want to get out. I, I, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying it's still not the second biggest thing on campus. I'm just saying it's, it, it, it is a, it, it'll, it'll always be less than basketball throughout the spring because of basketball's new calendar where that used to fade into back into football a little bit toward the end of the spring. And now football will get one day that people really are tuned in. It's a spring game. There won't be this like, Oh, that's interesting. This receiver's having a breakout spring. No, no, it'll be, it'll be what's going on with the basketball roster. Oh, spring game. 
that 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 that's my take on. It. Yeah, there's only 13 guys on a basketball roster too. I mean, that's I mean, that's not basketball. So every every single but, but listen, one of one thirteenth versus one of one eighty fifth is, is still going to draw more interest, right? Because there's more importance to it. But a guy like Kenneth Walker transferring to the football program, let's let's say that's not Kenneth Walker. Let's say that's um, let's say it's Travis Etienne instead making that transfer. You know, a guy that had a major year somewhere and transfers in. Who's going to get more eyeballs, that or Foster Lawyer leaving? I mean, that, that's that, that's a comparative. That's a better comparative. We were going to agree to disagree, but you got my take on it. That's where I'm at. Football, my football is always going to trump basketball at the Power Five level, period. Well, it does financially, and it does. And, a, but I, like interest in, I'm just talking interest in April at Michigan State. Interest in April in Michigan State, it will further – It'll the basketball season becomes longer. Football season can't quite peak out, uh, and and that's that's what it is. I am I am more stunned that Graham is conceding that Michigan State may not be a football school after all. Wrongly. <laughs> Amazing. Wrongly. Those, those 10 years uh, it, between – 2007 and 2016, 17, uh, to me, are a better gauge. The, 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 it's a, and, and maybe that's somewhat of, uh, and front, I don't want to say recency front, bias. Front running? I, I, think, I think it's recency bias in Graham's respect that, that they've had that downturn since then. Um, because historically, um, you know, they've sold out and had how many fans at football, even when they've been putrid because it's just the nature of the, the sport, the, the communal, Again, the communal that, aspect of the fall and everything else that comes that's along. That's a total different argument though. And I'm with you. I'm, I'm large. I'm large. That's why there's more interest. I mean, I think there's more interest because there's more, it's more of a communal thing and, and basketball doesn't get that, that feeling until March. But, but what I'm saying is basketball lingers through April. If spring football wants to be number one ever, <laughs> It needs to have played its games in May or June. That's all I'm saying. The new basketball calendar is going to continue to trump spring football and further push it down. And I'm good. Look, I, I just took two weeks off. I would never do that in a basketball season, right? I'm going to do that in a spring football season? Yeah, because uh, it's spring football season. <laughs> well, you're also arguing the rationale of fans. I mean, I think that – you know, it, it, it should it be less important? Yes. Is it less important? No. I think I think that fans care more about the the spring football and what will happen next. And because everyone sports is sports is all about what's next. Three fourths of the time, it's not about what's happening right now. It's about what's happening next. Otherwise, we wouldn't see all these prospects lists that that rank and grade kids all the way down to like the sixth grade level or whatever it is. And, and to be fair to spring football, it, spring football is up against it because ultimately you go from the most exciting, arguably, event in college sports, the NCAA tournament. You go from this March madness to a, a month of practices, which crescendos to a, wait for it, half a scrimmage that's on BTN for a couple hours. Like, it, it, like it, it's up against it. Like, it's not, you know, I mean, it's, it's a hard spot for football to be in. Um, but, you know, despite um, – Despite one network's attempts to always make it football season, I don't think it is. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about Michigan State's spring game on Saturday. I think that uh, it is interesting that, as has already been mentioned, there will be 6,000 fans in attendance. And uh, I thought the format appears to be interesting. It appears to be more of a glorified practice than the spring game even usually is. But let's... Not glorified. It is a practice. Yeah. But, I mean, call it what it is. It is a practice. That's fair. But I... But let's kind of talk about what we're going to be looking at for this game. And obviously, probably the first thing people are going to want to pay attention to, or at least keep their eyes on, is the quarterback battle between Peyton Thorne and Anthony Russo. So I think that's what everyone will be paying attention to. And uh, Chris, if you want to talk a little about the, the what you how you kind of view or what you're looking for in that in that QB uh, discussion, we'll call. I don't want to say battle. I'll say discussion for now. Uh, yeah, what are you looking forward to see on Saturday? Well, I mean, listen, first of all, I think you need to change and train your eyes to, to look at things differently um, <laughs> because, well, because it's not a game. Yeah. So what you're going to look for is, is going to be completely different to me for a number of reasons, particularly with the quarterback battle. One, you've got 
you got to watch who's getting the reps with the starters. I think who's who's getting the bulk of the reps with Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed is going to be telling. Um, I think though, you know, you want to see and develop that chemistry, and and if a guy's working with that that group in particular, um, because we don't know what drills they're going to do or how they're going to do it, um, who's throwing mostly to them is going to be critical because, you know, I think you know the way that the coaches have talked, and you know, from Mel Tucker to Jay Johnson to Chris Kapilovich all spring, um, it's going to be a situation where. Thorne and Russo are probably going to get the bulk of the snaps. Now, who's going to be the guy behind it? A guy like Camp Faye might get more snaps and reps um, than Theo Day. Then you kind of have an idea on the pecking order a little bit. Um, but if those two guys are getting the bulk of the reps, watch the chemistry, watch the arm, watch the delivery. Don't read too much into certain things because on the flip side of that, I believe there's only two scholarship cornerbacks. So who they're throwing against is equally is important to keep in mind. Um, you know, that's this is it's going to be an interesting format, I think, you know, because I think we'll watch. We'll probably see some individual drills, almost like Oklahoma drills, I would imagine, um, which are, are fun to watch. I mean, that's 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 what, you know, Graham, Graham talks about the difference between football. I mean, listen, thousands of fans go watch NFL teams practice. In, in the fall for preseason camp and watch guys just hit and clobber the, the bejesus out of each other in Oklahoma drills because that's what they – I mean, it's gladiator sports, right? Um, so you watch that, those kind of things, see who's got the power, see who's got the the shock, who's driving guys backward. It's going to be pretty interesting. And, and also keep in mind that you might see be seeing some guys who aren't going to be there when preseason camp breaks in July or August. So it, it is a weird situation timing wise, but I think there will be a, a lot of things to, to kind of glean from it. And I think the other thing to keep an eye on is who's not there, who's not playing right now. You know, do they have an injury? Is there something else going on? Yeah, I, I agree with everything Chris just said. I, I think that Bob's in some ways it's just disappointing it's not a game, right? That yeah. um, yeah, that would be fun, but I don't know that that would be really feasible given like the situation at corner as chris mentioned they're you know not incredibly deep at linebacker either you could do more you know we've seen spring games built by coaches where you really do a true offense defense thing where the defense can score points certain ways and and so you could do that a little bit but i think this will still be interesting to people i think if it became an annual thing it'd be less interesting if like three years from now they're not doing a spring game and they're just doing a practice but to get to see a practice and and Chris is is, is right. The, the the thing you really get out of a practice, if this is truly replicating what their practices are, is pecking order. Uh, they, you play the ones together. You play the twos together. Who's the quarterback that's in there first? Who's the running back is in there first? Who's the you know and and you know who, what, what receivers are being thrown to? Who who's it? I mean, it it is a where people stand. You'll get a sense of I think, and then you you should get. A little bit of you know you'll see Thorne and and, and um, Russo and how they look and 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 I don't think the quarterback position is going to be decided this day or this spring um, and I and I, I to be honest I don't know that it'll get decided before the start of the season uh, right. because it, it's you know unless Russo is just that good or Thorne is just that good I, I think it's one of those things where both guys are going to have to show it in September games to really to to own the position. Now, one of them may get to start and be really good, and that may be that. Um, but but I, I also think that I, I would I would not be surprised if the quarterback competition itself is something we're we're discussing in season uh, in, in you know in um, in September. And as I think the same goes with running back, and for a different reason, because I think that they because there are so many guys and and talking to William Piegler, they're going to use multiple backs. Um, in in part because uh, of they, they don't necessarily have a bell cow, but in part because that's just the nature of the position right now. And they're kind of selling guys on the fact that if you want to get to the next level, you need to have multiple guys around you at the college level to minimize your own wear and tear, which I think is interesting. I, I think that's an interesting way to approach it because I think back to the, the, the Mark D'Antonio backfield with Edwin Baker and Larry Caper and uh, Le'Veon Bell, and how at that point 
three was a crowded picture yep. and Baker was like, I'm leaving, I'm leaving early. But yet Le'Veon Bell, uh, you know, he, he left another year after that uh, and had the longer career. So in the NFL. So, I mean, it's, it, it's fascinating to, to kind of see some of these things. And I think, you know, like, like Mel Tucker's talked about, you know, on the offensive line and defensive line, you're going to see who's got pad level, who's got power, who's got quickness off the edge. I mean, you'll, you'll probably see a lot of like one-on-one drills with, with tackles and, and defensive ends and who's getting around the edge. And, you know, is a guy, but again, you got to take some of that with a grain of salt um, just simply because it's not a game setting. And when I do get into the scrimmage mode towards the end of practice, uh, it'll be that I think, you know, from a pecking order standpoint, will tell be a little bit telling as well um, at, at the running back spot and at the, some of the quarterback spot. Because, like, I I agree with you, this is going to go all the way up to the Northwestern opener. I think um, that's just that's been Mel Tucker's mo. And unless someone, unless you all of a sudden see someone has completely and clearly won the job, I don't know. I, it's you know, it, it's fascinating, and you know the. I mean, there's a bunch of other positions too, like tight end that I think you need to watch, um, simply because they lost Matt Dotson. You know, uh, you know, I think a guy like Adam Berghorst has been playing more baseball, so it's there's 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 a lot of things that you'll glean from this, but it's not necessarily uh, to me a snapshot of what 2021 season will be. It's more about. A, a, a place in time of where they were at since the end of last year. The running back position will get interesting too, because we, we talked about Kenneth Walker a little bit and by all accounts, he's been somebody who's really stood out and, and could, you know, has the ability to be a bell cow back, but they got a lot of guys and, you know, the guy that, you know, you know, you wrote about this, Chris, and we talked to yes the other day was Elijah Collins, who very mature approach. We, 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 you know, you learn just how much COVID affected him. Yeah. And, and 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 that's something I think we have to remi- remind ourselves based on last year. A lot of a lot of people did great things last year in a lot of sports, and those things don't deserve an asterisk. They were incredible, and they they deserve. I mean, uh, you know, Juzang at UCLA, what he did it will forever stand. Um, but a lot of guys who didn't have good years or didn't play or whatever, there were a lot of things behind the scenes we may not know, and and they really deserve a pass. And 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 I you know I credit Elijah Collins' maturity for. There's a guy that would look like he was going to be the dude. And now they brought in a lot of other guys who think they can be the dude. It's a crowded room with a lot of guys who with some talent. And and yet he is chosen to stay and 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 by some accounts been pretty good this spring. And I think he's a guy it will be interesting to see because we all saw his talent two years ago, right? And and yeah, you know, and, and he's got he's a guy who can definitely be an impact player at a big ten level. And that was a situation too. I mean, you know, I, I right away that was the first game. Uh, against Rutgers, where uh, there were, I think he had been stuffed three or four times, and there was a, a hole to the edge that he was just really slow getting to, and and kind of ran right into a defender. And I remember thinking to myself, this isn't the same kid that I saw in December uh, against Wake Forest. This isn't the same kid I saw all of 2019. Um, so yeah, I mean that's it's a fantastic, um, just you know thought to think, well, these guys need to get back to a hundred percent. These guys get, you know, are, where are they? Where, I mean, that's, you know, is, are there other guys? I mean, someone like a, a Jacob Panashuk lost weight last year and didn't seem like the same edge rusher. Can he get back to that? So, you know, there, there's, there's, uh, there's a few guys that I think you'll, you look at and say, have they made the gains back to where they were in 2019, and can they take a step forward from that? No doubt. And, and it's funny, the last time we saw Elijah Collins rushing that well, he had 96 yards in the uh, pinstripe bowl, and Kenneth Walker just eight carries, 24 yards that day on, uh, in, the, in the pinstripe bowl. The, uh, I, I, I'm very curious to see the running backs. It, th- that's a harder thing to see in, in, in scrimmage and in this sort of setting, you know, and, and – um, but you get a feel for guys that can can move a little bit. The pro- I'm I'm always careful myself because I've overwritten reactions. The uh, Anthony um, was the guy who just left. Anthony hey, uh, Anthony Williams. Williams, you know Anthony Williams to me looked at one point like oh there's a guy who has a uh, has a step has a, you know can plant his foot and go and there's 
you know, I remember Connor Hayward writing about him one spring. Like I've written some bad spring columns. Let's uh, let's not forget Tristan Jackson. Well, yeah, but he did have eight catches for 196 yards. At least you're reacting to something, right, in a spring game. Um, but yes, there have been lots of spring warriors that we. That, it, it, it's it, you know kind of a peek behind the curtain into the press box. It's it's affectionately been known as the Christie Rucker Award. Yeah, uh, among the writers. Uh, for the guy who has the the breakout spring and disappears in the fall. And, and every once in a while you get it. I mean, like Plaxico Burris had 13 catches in a spring game in like 1997 that turned out to be, wow, that dude is for real. So every once in a while you do get a, a performance that is absolutely legit. And and sometimes they're telling, you know, the, the, the Andrew Maxwell-Connor Cook spring game of 2013 wound up being telling. And Andrew Maxwell did himself in because – Back then, they did a spring game draft where they picked, and, and he was one of the part of the seniors that picked the rest of their teammates. He picked all his friends, the receivers, but the younger receivers were the better players, so Cook had better receivers to throw to. But what we saw that day wound up being true, and that was one of those things where all spring and all fall, they kept saying, you know, Maxwell's been great. And this is, uh, there are times in that QB battle, and I'm not, look, we're in a COVID era. MSU's doing the best they can with all this stuff. Uh, but there are times that I've thought that having much more openness would help. You know, w- the the staff lost credibility that year with a lot of us because they claim Maxwell is the better quarterback. And we got one chance to see him in the spring game, puts a lot of pressure on both guys, and Cook was the better guy. And so sometimes if you, if you were a little more open there, if Maxwell had really been better in the spring, I don't know that he was, we would have seen it if they had opened the other scrimmages to people. And we said, well, you know, the spring game happened, but these two other scrimmages – this guy was better, so let's see what happens in the fall. That's one other thing that I think for this spring game I'm going to look at uh, quite a bit is the young receivers um, because they did bring in such a big crop of receivers uh, in 2020 um, who are the young guys that, that are going to make that next step. There's, there's a lot of talent in that room um, and a lot of guys that, that could play some some big roles this year. You know, guys like Montori Foster and Terry Lockett that, we, you know, got a taste last year that we haven't really heard a lot about. Or even a guy like Cade McDonald, the the walk-on who who is was uh, Peyton Thorne's high school teammate. Those guys, I, I, I want to see, we know that Naylor and Reed are, are two established guys. Who behind them is going to take that that jump or, or, or a guy like Trey Mosley? making that move uh, back in or C.J. Hayes. I think that's, it, it's fascinating, some of these the position battles. But, you know, again, w- what are we going to really glean from it? Um, we're just going to get a chance to see them practicing against the guys that they're competing against for playing time. And, and what's important about the receiver position is you in the playmaker positions, you know, th- there are going to be some weaknesses on defense, and that may help these guys in this game. You know, things. But if, oh, for sure, yeah. But if this is a team that – is going to uh, be – I mean, keep in mind, they only have six home games this year, uh, six road games. Tougher way to get to, to, to bowl eligibility, tough schedule. If this team is going to be a contention for bowl eligibility and be the type of team that can pull an upset or two against teams that are maybe ahead of them, the way that happens is playmakers on offense usually. It's your quarterbacks, it's your receivers, it's a running back. It's people being able to – it's having guys who can keep you in the game offensively. So it is important that that receiver group, I think especially, takes a, a step and becomes, you know, something that uh, can really be um, can be leaned on in big games to take them to play maybe, I don't want to say to a level they aren't, but you know what I mean, on a given day, keeps you in a game explosive-wise. All right. Any final thoughts before we check out of here for, for this week? Phil, I just want more random thoughts from you. What do you have? Random thoughts? <laughs> uh, the Jack Nungy was really the last, uh, really the last, hot, 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 last mild take that uh, I had. I think he, I really like his game, and you know he was he was obviously Garza's backup, and uh, I think Xavier landed a, a pretty pretty good player in in him. So I, I think stray thoughts is is what you were looking. For. <laughs> stray thoughts. Stray, 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 stray thoughts. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, All right. Well, we will be back next week where we will talk about. The spring game slash practice. Uh, we'll talk about the NFL draft a little bit. Talking about Shakir Brown and Naquan Jones and Antoine Simmons and maybe whatever else happens in the world of Michigan State sports uh, in the next week. Maybe Amani Bates declares he's going to play for the Spartans next year in the next seven days. Who knows? 
Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.